exactly it because you're buying it and reselling it. The consumer is getting the same thing. So your sale is legally protected under the first sale doctrine. It's a body of law that we have here in the States. But the brand doesn't recognize who you are. So that's exactly the scenario we were talking about earlier where that brand then will try and knock you off by saying you're not an authorized distributor or they have distribution agreements. Amazon ignores them. And the person for the brand gets frustrated and claims that you're selling counterfeit products. And that's one of the things that we're addressing more often these days than we were even just two or three months ago, where we have to reach out to them and say, but you asserted a counterfeit complaint that you knew was false. And now you're costing $5,000, $10,000, $20,000 a month in sales to be lost. And you're responsible for that. And we're 100% right. Uh, but that's exactly the scenario that the sellers are facing more and more. Welcome to the e-commerce momentum podcast, where we focus on the people, the products, and the process of e-commerce selling today. Here's your host, Stephen Peterson. Hey, wanted to talk a few moments about some sponsors. Scope from Seller Labs. Um, when's the last time you created a listing? Right. And when you create that listing, you've got to come up with the keywords, right? It's all keyword dependent. I don't care if it's uh, private label or wholesale. You've got to get it right. Well, what's the best way to get it right? If you're selling a similar product that's really successful, you go and you take and use their keywords. And that's what Scope does for you. It's a phenomenal tool brought to you again by Seller Labs, the leaders in technology uh, when it comes to Amazon right now. They are just crushing it with all their products. But Scope allows you to get that listing right. Get ranked for those keywords as fast as possible. Therefore, you get the sales. So, Go to sellerlabs.com forward slash scope. Use the code word momentum. Save a little bit of money. Get some free keywords to test. Try it out and see if you see an improvement. If you don't, adjust. What's cool about what I love about uh, Seller Labs is that you then message and say, hey, I didn't get this right, Tyler. Hey, Jeff, this isn't working right. What am I doing wrong? And boom you're going to get the help you need. And that's what you're going to get from Seller Labs. And, and it's a very special group. They've been very, I've been very fortunate to be connected with them. And again, I look over time, they've delivered every single time. You know, same thing I can say for Karen from Solutions for E-Commerce. I mean, she's been carrying my account for a couple of years now, um, and our account, my wife and I, and she really does handle things for us. Um, I mentioned uh, just last week, we created a new listing with forget how many variations. But again, all the flat files uploaded, done as I needed. I pop in, so she'll send me a template, I pop in some information, and then boom, it's handled. Oh wait, these pictures weren't done right, blah, blah, blah. This UPC needs it, boom, modified, adjusted. And again, the communication's been phenomenal too. I get an email pack saying, hey, this was done, or this, you're missing this, Steve. Hey, you gotta do this. So, you know, we have those challenges too. And that's why I like working with somebody who's been doing it, and been doing it for a long time. Did you know Karen also does listings for eBay? Yep, lots of them. So if you want to build out that channel, which of course you should, it's Q4, you should be selling everywhere you can, um, Karen can help you with that too. So you got to tell her I've sent you. So you're going to go to solutions for e-commerce forward slash momentum. You're going to save 50 bucks every single month. You're going to save that $50. But more importantly, you're going to get an inventory health report. Um, did you just get hit with monthly long-term storage fees? Well, guess what? If you haven't, they're coming. 
You want to get that inventory right, and she can help you with that. You got to tell her I sent you. Again, solutions, the number four, e-commerce forward slash momentum will get you into that. Save the 50 bucks. Get that inventory health report, though. That's really, really important. Get that going right away. And I don't want to miss my coach when it comes to retail orb or online orb. When I have a question, and I do, not that we don't we don't really do much of it anymore, but when I do have a question, I go to Gay Lisby. Because why? Because she's really... She is a coach. I mean, she's really phenomenal, but she also puts out a daily list and you're going to get that list five days a week. You're going to get tons of leads. The number of uh, agreed to amount that you're supposed to get, she, she usually gets to those in the four days. And then the fifth day seems to be a bonus most of the time. Phenomenal group, small amount of uh, buyers where this list is going to. And the best thing is the nuggets that you learn. Hey, why is the red one better than the blue one? Gate can help you with those questions. I saw, hey, I got, um, I got a, the dreaded letter about a brand. Here's the, here's the way you approach it. Hey, receipts. Um, how do you? What's the best practice? I saw her leading instructions, teaching me, the accountant, how to do a better job with it, and it's phenomenal. So it's Gay Lisby's um, a million dollar selling. Um, I'll have the link in here. You've got to use. Um, the, my, my link, and, and it does help me. I don't want to say it that way, but um, it's part of Amazing Freedom with Andy Slamins, Lee Ron, Hirsch Korn, and Nate Slamins, so you know you can trust them, okay? So come out to the website, take a look at it, and you will get uh, savings, and you can get two weeks free right now. Only through my link, you get two weeks free. Try it. You don't like it? I get it. Back off. But right now is the time to make money. Get cash flow going right now. And so join, you get two weeks free. The only way you're going to get the two weeks free is if you use my link. It's on this episode. Come on out and give it a try. You will not be disappointed. Again, you're going to see me in there. So reach out if I can help you too. Let's get into the podcast. Welcome back to the e-commerce momentum podcast. This is episode 359, CJ Rosenbaum. Now, CJ was on the show about a year and a half ago, um, episode 171, in, back in February of 2017. You want to go back and listen to that. And we spoke quite a bit about reinstatement back then because he was really into reinstatement. Um, still is, and, and he's expanded his team, and we really get into some details there. Really, really um, neat that this, this, um, this advice is available to us almost 24-7, almost. Um, that's his goal. But... What I asked him to do is really to help us uh, prevent, you know, what can we do to prevent? And so what he's done is he says, okay, I've had a bunch of these. And so here are the things that people who got suspended, here are things they could have done up front to prevent some of that. And it's real sound advice. Some of it is extra steps, taking photos of your products going in, right, as you're sending them in. Well, guess what? You know, if you got all your money tied, think about right now, right? We've got huge amount of Christmas inventory still sitting in our warehouse, right? It's because we're dripping it in. If that got frozen at this point, oh my goodness, you know, the bills do. We actually paid for it already. So now, you know, that cash isn't going to come back. So those are kind of things that you got to start thinking about, especially as you scale up. Well, he gives you some really great advice for free on what you can do to prevent. Now, prevent is not guaranteed. You can help... Um, hopefully uh, stave off uh, some of these challenges that are out there. Uh, we also get into why he stays in this industry and why he's expanded so much. I think it's really interesting because when you see him at a conference, it's hard to get his time because everybody's up there sucking his energy. 
And, you know, I mean, he's not the typical lawyer charging you for all that stuff. He's there giving people free advice um, because it's a long game and he wants that relationship. So it's very, very cool to see. And probably the coolest thing is at the end, he hits me with, uh, which I didn't know, that there's a charity that he's involved with. um, And he's asking for the Amazon Smile. Um, If you're going to choose a charity, he offers one. It's the Ty Lewis Campbell Foundation, T-Y, Lewis, L-O-U-I-S, Campbell, C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L Foundation on Amazon. So if you're going to buy presents, you're going to buy, I'm going to buy something as soon as I'm done with this, and I can choose the Amazon Smile and then choose this foundation. They benefit, doesn't cost anybody else any other money other than Amazon that helps um, donate that money. So if you don't have one chosen, this could be a great one, Ty Lewis Campbell Foundation. Um, Really great, strong um, update, and again, really going to help grow your business. Let's get into the podcast. All right, welcome back to the e-commerce momentum podcast. Very excited about today's guest, re- return guest, um, and I think the time of year, I think the time is now for us to sharpen, um, sharpen our businesses and really pay attention uh, if you're selling on Amazon on um, what it takes to make sure that you can, um, a if you do get suspended, you get reinstated, but then you know what you can do preventively, um, and I think uh, C.J. Rosenbaum is a great expert. Uh, an attorney that's been on episode 171. Go back and listen to his story, how he got into this crazy business. Um, episode 171, um, back in February of 2017. Can you believe it's been that long, CJ? I, it, time flies. It feels like it was yesterday. It does. It really does. When I saw you, it was like we've never stopped the conversation. You know, it's funny. Every year we see each other around the country at different events and the conversation never stops. It's just like a continuation. It's like, oh, yeah, like we never like we never finish a paragraph. It just rolls right in. (laughs) So tell me uh, what is going on. So last time we talked, we talked about reinstatement. That was what it was and, and how to get reinstated and all that kind of jazz is pretty much that's still the same way. I mean, is there, have there been a lot of changes or adjustments to that? You know, I wouldn't say it's a lot. It comes in waves. So certain aspects of the suspensions and certain aspects of intellectual property right complaints or rights owner complaints, they come in waves. Like there was a wave of hacking problems. There was a wave of safety issues. There were waves of certain um, categories suffering suspensions. So I wouldn't call it like drastic changes, just kind of roll in his waves for a couple of months. There'll be big problems in something and then Amazon must go and focus on something else or their algorithm changes to something else. Um, I say the big major changes. what I'm seeing are sellers are more likely to attack other sellers than we've seen in, in, than we've seen ever before. Now, do people understand that that's a legal I mean, I, I mean, in theory, I mean, if they get caught and all the rest of that jazz, but this is serious. Uh, this has serious legal implication. Am I correct? It could, but to enforce your legal rights would mean taking the seller to court and Mm -hmm. seller versus seller litigation is certainly on the increase, but it's also very unpalatable. Like no one wants to race to court. So does does the seller create a risk by asserting baseless complaints against you? A hundred percent. They're liable for every dollar that's lost. Um, And we've been very successful with the larger brands who do that. Um, but again, to, to enforce your right to recover your damages means going to court when it's seller versus seller. Do, do, I mean, why would somebody, especially larger, why would somebody do that? I mean, do they not realize that, um, that there is, I mean, you would think a larger company would understand the, uh, the possible, uh, financial implications there. You would think. You would think, but it's really not the case. Now I'll give you, I'm not going to tell you which franchise of the NFL 
but a major franchise in the NHL, within the NFL, the National Football League, was asserting complaints against people selling genuine products. And what I think happened is that they're a brand manager in a, in a corporate job, and their job was to remove Amazon sellers, and they couldn't do it legitimately. But when they made a baseless complaint of counterfeit products, all of a sudden they were successful. You know, the problem with that is that they're now responsible for every dollar that that seller has lost. Uh, so it is an example. It happens time and time again. You have these people in these corporate positions, and their role is to knock off Amazon sellers, and they have to get it done by hook or by crook. So they end up asserting baseless complaints. Hmm. Well, it's very interesting. I'm definitely seeing more of it, um, and you're seeing more from overseas, uh, people creating these crazy stories, buying product. I heard a great story, and not a great story, but I heard a story of somebody calling somebody's customer and actually uh, offering them something and then it never coming true. And um, then that person uh, didn't follow through, and, but they never made the offer. It was done by a third party maliciously. And it's like, what? People are doing this kind of crazy thing? Have you heard that yeah. one? We, we've seen that, and I don't know how to get the contact information, you know, but they do. There's software. We've, we, we've seen that. Uh, we've seen um, people jump on listings, sell similar products, and then when the consumer complaints come in, it's now landing on the legitimate seller's desk, and that causes problems. We've also seen more dirty tricks by sellers versus sellers. Like, you know, the fake reviews used to be easy to spot because they would have, like, poor grammar, mm -hmm. Right. But now they're well-written, and it's sort of like the comment, you know, you, you, you clean up really nicely, which is sort of a backhanded insult. They'll leave a pretty detailed two-star review instead of a one-star or five-star. Or we've seen seller versus seller attacks where they're leaving five-star reviews that had totally, you know, come off as fake. So instead of, like, killing you with bad reviews, they're killing sellers with fake positive reviews. Hmm. Crazy. Well, that's just tough. I mean, is the is the good news that this stuff is getting found, um, and that I assume that Amazon gets sharper and sharper at this stuff. I mean, and and finds ways to to get that stuff out of the system. That is the good news. The yeah. good news is as as the the nonsense sort of increases and morphs into other things, Amazon seems to be much faster at you know catching up with the curve. And the reinstatements are coming in faster and faster. Uh, so I'm not sure if they've increased their training, if they've increased their personnel, or if they're just doing more training in terms of keeping up with the latest dirty tricks. Uh, but yeah, the reinstatements definitely are coming in faster. It seems like the plans of action are being read by savvier people on Amazon's side of the fence. Yeah, and, and I've seen a few stories in the news about sellers um, that, that went that PR route and negative news they don't like. So I think that they are paying more attention. Interesting. All right, well, let's talk about this then, because I think this is the time of year when we should start thinking about prevention. Um, and so what, I, what I'm asking you to do is think about, I mean, you handle so many cases, is to think about the ones that you've seen that you think that there's an opportunity, something could have been done in advance to help sellers now who are you know, just selling and they're like, ooh, I didn't think of that one. Can you give us some of those? Sure, sure. Now, also, you know, what I did before getting on this call with you, before getting on this webinar, is I went around to our, our entire team with 32 people strong now, Jeez. writing plans of action out of New York, analyzing accounts, dealing with rights owner complaints and that sort of thing. Um, I mean, this is also kind of old advice, but it's still accurate. If you want to avoid problems, 
you got to stay on top of whatever you're selling in terms of the forums. Like, I don't think anyone has the time to read the, all the forums across the board. But if you're selling like Epion's Cosmetics or, you know, uh, Johnny B Hair Care Goods or whatever brand of goods you're selling, you need to, I, I would say, at least daily, just do a search and look at the forums for other people having problems with those brands because the brands also come in waves and all of a sudden there'll be a sweep and they'll clean up their listings by asserting a lot of nonsense. And even though, you know, we can get you back on, if it's not a big profit center for you, it might be a good idea to back off the brands that are getting more and more aggressive. So I think that every seller at least once a day or worst once a week to really do a, do some background on the, their products that they're selling to avoid problems. Is there um, a, a, let me ask you this, because you say forums, do you mean a seller forum on, on Amazon or yes. other places too? No, I would start with the seller forums on Amazon. They're remarkably useful. For that um, kind of information. Hmm. Exactly for that information. I would also search the Facebook groups. Okay. And between the, uh, the Amazon forums and the Facebook groups, you're going to gather a ton of information as to what's going on in your particular category or your particular brand that you're selling. I wonder if there's a way to get notified. Um, I know like you can use some of the Google News things and some, some things to get news when it's posted about these brands and stuff, but I don't know whether they dig into uh, Seller Central or into uh, Facebook to get notified when something's posted about that product. Somebody knows it, send me a note. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll start, um, I'll look into it, and I'll put it up on on these episode. Okay. Or if so, you're listening, okay. it's a great idea for a new service for sellers. Yeah. Yeah. Something there you go. Scrape information about particular brands or product lines to alert sellers as quickly as possible. Especially that. on Seller Central. I never thought about that. And I'm assuming you can get through their, through their API. You probably can get in there. Some decent programmer could figure that out. That sounds like a good opportunity. Okay. So, so looking, you know, paying attention to the, uh, the brands that, for some reason, are getting enforced and act because some of the challenges, right? I buy from a distributor, right? I buy, you know, I don't know. I'm I'm looking at my water bottle. I buy this water bottle from my distributor. It's legit. I bought it. They're a registered uh, seller of that product, and I get the rights to sell it. Right? I bought it from them, and then I put it up on Amazon. And then Amazon, some that 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 company says, "Whoa, who's that? We don't know, Steve." So why and, – and then that's where those things have been happening lately in some cases, correct? That's exactly it because you're buying it and reselling it. The consumer is getting the same thing. So your sale is legally protected under the first sale doctrine. It's a body of law that we have here in the States. But the brand doesn't recognize who you are. So that's exactly the scenario we were talking about earlier where that brand then will try and knock you off by saying you're not an authorized distributor or they have distribution agreements. Amazon ignores them, and the person for the brand gets frustrated and claims that you're selling counterfeit products. Right. And that's one of the things that we're addressing more often these days than we were even just two or three months ago, where we have, we have to reach out to them and say, but you asserted a counterfeit complaint that you knew was false, and now you're costing $5,000, $10,000, $20,000 a month in sales to be lost, and you're responsible for that. And we're 100% right. Uh, but that's exactly the scenario that the sellers okay, are facing so that's, more and more. But that one there, uh, so let's talk about preventing that. Be, is that when I have to go back to my vendor, right, that distributor, and say, hey, look, I need an authorized letter um, that shows that I am allowed to sell this on Amazon, 
And even then, that doesn't prevent that, right? But then you say, hey, I want you to send this to the brand. That's like the biggest scary thing for us who sell wholesale. We're worried that they're going to shut us down. But I guess it's better to be shut down in the beginning. Is that where we're kind of going with it? No, I think that would be ideal, but it's not realistic. Okay. What you want to do is have a genuine invoice from your distributor, and you want to separately be able to show that your distributor is getting it from the brand itself. Um, I don't think any just I think it'd be very hard to get a, an authorization letter from a distributor because they don't have authorization from the brand. But independently, you can do your own research to show that your distributor is getting the real deal, you know, from whoever the manufacturer is. Okay, oh, they could be another distributor for somebody else, right? They could be another person in between. Okay. Hmm. Correct. But many mm. times you can track it back and all the way back to the manufacturer, even online on your own. When you pull up a distributor's website, it'll often list the brands that they're dealing with. We've even had investigators where you can actually go to the distributor and you watch the truck pulling up and it has the, you know, where they're coming from. Just like Amazon's great commercial about how all the third-party sellers are doing so well. You can reverse engineer You really so you can track that. We call it supply chain. There are supply chain inauthentic suspensions where you have to really trace it, not just back to your distributor, but then trace that distributor back to the brand. Do, do, I mean, and realistically, and I guess as you're going to be like, duh, Steve, of course it does. I, I guess there are counterfeits that get slipped into those systems uh, by nefarious people in the middle from time to time, correct? There are, but the problem is no, I, I don't see the problem as being anywhere near as big as uh, the propaganda would lead people to believe. Because nowadays, the genuine products and the counterfeits cost about the same. There's no significant savings. Oh. And it's almost all gray market. Not that counterfeits don't occur. They do. Um, but I don't think the problem is anywhere near as big as it's, 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 as people purport it to be. Okay. All right. So it's really just the brands trying to get control of their inventory. They don't know. They built this system. The system wasn't designed for Amazon to become the behemoth it has become and such a big part of their marketplace. And then they're dealing with retailers uh, in business, going out of business. All this stuff is making it mucky. Yes. And it, it's really it, it's really price control. OK, I don't think the brands really care where it's being sold. It's price control. And if they want their product sold for thirty nine ninety nine, they don't want to see Amazon sellers selling it for 20 bucks. Right. So it's really about controlling the price of the goods. You know, I told this story, uh, Andy Simmons, on his uh, Warehouse Wednesday. I went to an auction this week and it was a um, it's a wholesale auction. They have them, you know. Christmas and a lot of local retailers buy their stuff there, whatever. There were two mega sellers selling Amazon private label products, all in Amazon boxes with the ASINs on the side or return boxes and everything. And it blows my mind. Um, you know, A, they're so common. I, I said the meat claws or the silicone baking pa uh, pads, and, and it just goes on and on and on. But my, my example was this. I bought these uh, meat claws. You're familiar with the ones where you, you put them on your hands and you pull apart meat like uh, in a crock pot or something like yes. that, right? Yep. So it's one of those over private labeled, you know, there's hundreds of varieties of the exact same thing all by the same place. Anyway, I bought them for a dollar a piece. And yet there were, I could have got more and got them cheaper. But the auctioneer gets 30 cents, right? He gets 30%. So that seller... That guy got 70 cents, and he still made money. Because I asked him, I said, were these your private label? He said, oh, no way. He said, I bought these, blah, blah, blah. So I'm assuming he's buying them from 
uh, Amazon liquidation, or even two or three levels below that. But what blows my mind is now somebody could take those items. I could have taken them and thrown them on Amazon on that person's listing and sold them. You know, I have a dollar into them. Amazon fees are three bucks. Okay. So I could sell it for six dollars and make, you know, 50% back. Not that I would do that, but you get what I'm saying? And that, that is how a lot of these problems come to fruition. Um, And so you, you take that, this is off label, you know, uh, private label, but imagine that I could have done that with Nikes or whatever. And then, then that's, that's a lot of it. When you're paying such a low price, I could put it up for $7 and make just as much money as the guy who built that product and put it out there. It's, it's very, it's gotta be very frustrating for them. Yes. It, 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 you know, once the product, especially something like that, that's produced in such mass and copied by so many factories, you know, it's, it's by that time, the product has sort of gone through its whole life cycle of ingenuity. And now it's just copycats everywhere. And it's time to get off the gravy, off that train. I only bought them for my son, uh, one for Andy to use for examples of products not to do, and then one for my wife. So we have it for the house. That's it. I don't want to sell them. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> okay. So, so uh, that's, that's a big preventative one. What else can we do? Well, I got to say, it, now that we're in Q4, okay, a couple of things that we're seeing more of this, uh, using FBA, we, we've been seeing a lot of problems with when products are arriving at FBA and either they are damaged or Amazon is claiming they're damaged, okay? Mm. So what I want people to start doing is as they're selling more, as they're shipping things to FBA, create an extra step in your process where you're really taking a good look at it. And if you can photograph your products before you're putting them on the pallets and wrapping them up, I'll take some pictures because we're seeing more and more suspensions where consumers are complaining about the condition of the products and they trace it all the way back to this third-party seller, even though it went through FBA, and we're ha- we have to justify they were in great condition when we sent them to FBA. So I would start adding that as much as you can, a pre-FBA inspection that you're keeping really good records of. So you can show photographs that your products were in pristine condition when they were sent in. Um, and this is sort of a new thing. Also, we're seeing more and more of Amazon not logging in your inventory. Yeah, I, I saw somebody this morning saying it, his 117 items and the box was empty, they said. And it's of course, it wasn't true. Right. Who ships an empty box? It's right. all BS. Right. Uh, but we're seeing that Amazon then, what they do is they sort of reverse engineer a defense to stealing your products. And they don't throw anything out. They're reselling everything as far as I can tell. Um, but you really want to make sure that your labeling is dead on, that you're, there's no extra labels. Like if you're sending in pallets, you have to put it on all four sides and on top. And again, you want to document everything in case you have a problem later on. So make sure the labeling is dead on, totally in compliance, your weight is as accurate as possible, and that you have pictures and documents to show here are the four pallets, here are pictures of where the labels were located. Because this is a big source of free inventory to Amazon and a source of huge losses to sellers where they're just not logging it in and then it becomes a fight. And you really have to be able to show that you did comply and that your goods arrived. Uh, we recently had a case where it took all the way till we got to the arbitration hearing to show that all four pallets arrived. All four pallets arrived. And that means that seller was out of his inventory for probably about six months Oh wow! before we nailed Amazon and finally here it is, here are the pictures and we showed them and here's the login and we had one of their witnesses confirm that they received all four pallets. 
and they still argued about the labeling. Well, what do they do with it? I mean, let's face it. There's, you know, Jeff Bezos isn't saying, hey, CJ, when that pallet of Steve's bear claws come in, pull it off to the side for me. Well, yeah, I'm going to take some out and, you know, I, we're going to have some fun this weekend. I mean, nobody's doing that, right? I mean, so so what's realistically happening? Is it just because there's such a behemoth? You know, my town, I tell this story, this is God's honest truth. There are five massive Amazon warehouses in my town, five. And they're half a million to a million square feet. I mean, they're just, I mean, it takes you, you know, seconds to go past. I mean, it literally, you could count 20 or 30 seconds as you're driving by. It takes that long to go out. And so I'm assuming in the corners of those places, they got piles of crap that they just, it's just whatever it is, right? Is that what's happening realistically? Or or somebody, is the stuff falling off the back of the truck? Or what's happening? I don't think it's anything nefarious. On average, I believe they're receiving like three shipments per second. (laughs) And with that volume, there's going to be mistakes. The real problem lies in Amazon's relentless defense Hmm. uh, about fighting these things. And I got to tell you, I blame the lawyers a bit, the guys who I I work with on every week, where they have to sort of invent and create reasons for Amazon not reimbursing you when you provide good evidence. And I think that it becomes a profit center, not because the people in the warehouses, not because the people who are receiving the shipments, is that when there's a problem, they're like so loath to accept responsibility. And, you know, to Amazon, it's nothing like your extra thousand units is, is nothing to Amazon, but it's vital to you. And then when that causes a, a problem like a suspension or you can't get your cash back out to get new goods, it's devastating to sellers. So I think it's further up in the food chain. It's not the warehouse people. Uh, it's a lack of a, it's a lack of accepting responsibility for known problems. I'm not sure how far up the food chain, but when you do the aggregate amount, it's tremendous numbers. Absolutely tremendous. You know, your thousand units, someone else's 500 units, somebody else's 20 units. Okay. And they know they have the merchandise and they know that they can't identify where it came from. So I wonder I if it's, it's a if, higher up. Yeah. I wonder if it's a, um, a profit and loss. Um, I wonder if they do profit and loss by warehouse location. I mean, you kind of assume that they do. I, I, I tell this story. So in my old industry, um, the retail stores, there was always a trust thing. We would go and sell them or bring them product. We'd send them a bill. And then at the end, what didn't sell, we would take back and we would credit them for what they returned, right? So if we gave them a hundred units and they gave us back 20, we sent them a bill for 80. Okay. Then the industry changed and it went to more corporate stores and the stores would say, oh, we're only going to pay you based on what gets scanned. And so all the losses, people walking out with your product, they gave up. And the Walmarts of the world, this is how they operate. And so you only get paid now for what you scan. So if <laughs> we you have th- no control, over we have zero control. Factor. Yeah, there's, there's no control of the security. And we was, had the same thing. I grew up working in a, in a local candy store. And with magazines, it was the same thing. What you would do is when the month passed, you'd rip off the covers and you would return the, the, the cover of the magazine, you know, to the, uh, the magazine distributor. You wouldn't have to pay for what didn't sell. Well, that whole thing, that whole thing cost a fortune for that industry and um, there's no responsibility. And so I, I wonder if this is the same scenario. You get what I'm saying is that they are saying, hey, look, you know, they, they probably have measurements of um, speed and accuracy and they probably get paid or incentives for that. And so by getting rid of these things, 
it allows them to stay. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, I, maybe it's I'm a, wrong. It's, I don't think there's any profit and loss. I think it's profit and profit. And I kind of envision <laughs> it being like an insurance company where they don't make money by paying claims. They make uh, money by getting premiums. Okay. All right. So is that warehouse really going to you know pay out? I, I think it moves further up into the management food chain and how much they had to reimburse. And they try and limit that as much as possible. Uh, kind of the same way they, they take your inventory when they hold your money. I mean, we talk to sellers every single day how Amazon is just withholding their money indefinitely. And at certain dollar amounts, it's not worth pursuing it. You know, like let's say Amazon steals five grand from you. You're not going to pay $2,000 for an arbitration to chase down $5,000. Well, give us an example why that would occur. Uh, let's say you're selling 100 products and two have a potential counterfeit issue or two complaints. And whether the claim is real or the claim is baseless, it's still 2% of your sales, yet they hold 100% of your money. Oh. But the amount is not worth the fight. You know, where it's better to let Amazon keep your $5,000 and move on rather than fight them for it. And I think when you do the same thing, you do the aggregate of it, you're probably talking hundreds of thousands of sellers a month who are getting getting ripped off, you know, but just enough that it's not worth fighting over. You, know, you don't want to poke the bear. You're still getting your livelihood. You know, here in the United States, uh, sellers are still super reliant upon Amazon, you know, unlike Europe and Australia, where the market is more diversified. So I can't tell you how many sellers we've talked to. I mean, it's countless number of sellers who have been screwed over for an amount that's just not enough to fight over. Well, tell me what you're seeing in Europe. So where is the market uh, when you look at Europe as opposed to the U.S.? I know I understand Amazon's not as established. What are the other marketplaces that people are selling in Europe? Well, you have Amazon, I think, has about a quarter of the market. You have eBay has about a quarter of the market. And there are a whole bunch of other marketplaces. I don't have the names. At okay. The, All right. So, tongue, okay. So I didn't realize they only have about half of a half of the market between the two of them. That's that's very yeah. surprising. Okay. Wow. We right. had we had someone on from eBay on on our webinar. Uh, we not this Wednesday, a week ago Wednesday, and his name was Aaron Schneider from eBay, and he was talking some really great stuff about eBay, how they don't compete with the sellers, and you can get into a hundred foreign markets with the same account, rather than you know Amazon's are much more limited, you know they don't use the sellers for their R and D department, mm. you know they don't track down your factories. They don't steal your goods and sell it themselves. eBay is not a seller on eBay. Are you saying that that happens? I certainly think it happens. Can you Have you seen an example where uh, that has been proven out yet? I mean, I, I've read it too, and I've seen it, and we all know that you know Amazon. And my son brought this up the other day. He's like, oh, yeah, I just get that on Amazon Basics. I'm like— I certainly have— I'm like, I you know what Amazon Basics it. is? I'm like, whoa. <laughs> I can only talk about generally because all the information we have is, is confidential, including the arbitrations. But I've certainly had scenarios where a seller has bought products from Amazon, okay, through Woot and through their other channels to resell on Amazon, where they seized them a second time claiming uh, they were counterfeit. Mm. Yeah, so they bought them from them. Convinced, <laughs> that has convinced me that there, there's not some big giant shredder that Amazon's using. Oh, no, no, no. Whatever they have, they are selling in one fashion or another. And I kind of envision the same like 
I'll use Disney as an example. The same Disney product flowing in and out of Amazon's hands over and over and over again. That poor Cinderella doll being sent to Amazon. Then they accuse it of being counterfeit. They sell it on Woot. That seller puts it back on Amazon and over and over and over again. Yeah, 100%. And matter of fact, that, that auction I went to, I believe that's what that example was, is I think that was all Amazon. You know, some seller disposed of it because, you know, with long-term storage fees, and they disposed of it. They paid to dispose of it. Well, disposal doesn't mean disposal. It means disposal out of their system. And then people buy tractor trailer loads of that stuff. Um, and- Put it right back on Amazon. Put it right back on Amazon, yeah. <laughs> yeah, disposal is not destruction. That's correct. Yeah, there's nobody in the back, you know, like you said, dropping it through a shredder or uh, burning the uh, books in the back. No, nope, they're all coming back out. All right, give us another one that you've seen where people can put this something into practice to help, you know, kind of, I don't know if it's the inevitable, but stave it off anyway, or just delay these potential problems um, as they continue to sharpen their business. All right, this is a big one. I would absolutely refrain from getting on listings where you don't have inventory. And this started, I guess, say about three oh. months ago, give or take. Tell me what this is, because I've not heard of well, this one. It's like it's drop shipping. Oh. It, it's drop shipping, but what happens is you jump on a listing, then you receive an inauthentic allegation against you, and then you have to provide invoices. The problem is you don't have invoices because you never purchased inventory. And then you have sellers who are then getting invoices and Photoshopping them or getting them from distributors, asking them to backdate them or making up their own. And if you're already selling, if you already have a legitimate means of running your account, it's not a good idea to get into this. It's just problematic. And then you're stuck in this cycle where you can't provide the invoices with your plan of action because you never actually own the goods. So where I can do a legitimate dropship, where I, there, there are lots of companies that will dropship for you, okay? They're legitimate. Then you have an account with them, that kind of thing. Are those safer because technically I am buying, even though I don't take control of it? Or they is that- are much, much safer because you actually have a contract you can point to okay. or at least a friendly distributor who will confirm your arrangement in writing. And then hopefully, because Amazon staff is making more and more phone calls as time goes on, mm-hmm. they'll pick up the phone and say, yes, Steve buys these from us. We have a contract with them. They're 100% genuine. We can trace it all the way back to the factory. And that is a much, much safer way of doing it. As uh, opposed but- to the ones that are buying from me on eBay and then selling it. Um, and I have no, you know, cause I'm selling it on eBay. Right. So that in that scenario, that's the scenario you're talking about in the beginning. That's just, you're really risking your account. Yes. Or not even knowing where you're going to find it yet. You know, you list, you're on the listing cause you know, you can, or you expect to be able to pick up the product, but you don't really have anything in place yet at all. Oh yeah. That, that's a bad idea. Wow. Okay. All right. Any other ones that you want to get into? Uh, I would just always keep an eye out for specific brands. Um, that are really getting real aggressive to me that that's really vital um, to really keep if you're getting into something if you're about to buy a container full of a product do some research beforehand Um, and I got to tell you as I am a huge proponent it's a little bit off the subject you asked me about I'm a huge proponent in sellers to to start developing their own brands even if it's the oven mitts Hmm. develop your own brand develop an asset file for a trademark you can do it yourself because uh, that's really that is the future that you actually develop an asset that you own and can sell where you can draw investment to yourself. Um, 
So well, what you described, I mean, look at Europe, right, where you just described that 75% of the market is not Amazon in Europe. Um, that's an opportunity, right? I mean, if you have your own brand and you're going to sell there, that's a great opportunity, um, especially. It's a, it's a huge opportunity. And in Europe, there are a lot more uh, brand protection laws in effect. You know, like I we spoke a few moments ago about the first sale doctrine, mm -hmm. where you can buy and sell basically anything that you want, as long as the consumer is receiving the same thing. Um, in Europe, brands have more protection where permission to sell is part of their intellectual property law. So you develop a brand, you can control who can sell it in Europe. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. And these are the kind of things that CJ's uh, law firm offers. And, you know, one of the things I was thinking about, because um, you were traveling last week or whatever, and we were, we were in Chicago together a couple weeks ago. And I've been thinking about why, why this industry, I mean, you're a smart guy. But, I mean, why this industry uh, – I mean, did you just luck into it? And the, the re I guess my question is why you stayed within this industry because you could – you know, you can practice in just about any industry you want. Um, why what, – what keeps you in this? Maybe that's the better way to ask that. I love it. <laughs> I got to tell you, I love it. I'm in this, and we've grown so well because I absolutely love it. And not to say my day isn't stressful. My day is very stressful. Every one of you sellers that calls me, your account is suspended, you need a plan of action yesterday, and you're all stressed out. Uh, but I love dealing with entrepreneurs every day, all day long. I love the constantly changing climate. Um, I love seeing how sellers figure out uh, new angles to get products, either better products or the same products at better prices. Um, I, I love the creativity that goes along with an ever-changing platform. Um, and I, I listen, entrepreneurs are a different breed of people. I'm, I'm a lawyer, but I'm also an entrepreneur at heart. So uh, I'm in this area because I love it. The way I got into it is simply by recognizing somebody else's great idea when I was at a rather low point uh, in my life after a really long, nasty uh, custody fight um, where uh, a long-term client and a good friend of mine had purchased an Amazon-based business and he had a ton of money into it and the account got suspended hmm. and he looked for help and he was unhappy with the choices that were out there at the time. And he reached out to me and he said, listen, I know you're going through all this stuff with your ex-wife, but why don't you look into this? I think this is really up your alley because I'd always represented entrepreneurs and I was a pretty hardcore trial lawyer. And I looked at him like, this is really cool. And then I started just going to some of the events and meeting the sellers and I just fell in love with it. So I, I live and breathe this stuff. You know, this morning I, I was up at 5 a.m. emailing some of the other lawyers on my team about issues. And they're the same way. At, at 6.15, I had Rob Siegel, who's one of our new associates, um, writing me back. Hmm. And so uh, it's really great. And since it's also like kind of a second career to me, I'm really able to build it exactly the way I want with a focus on the client, with a focus on speed with a focus on ingenuity, which you need. And so uh, I, I feel blessed. I feel blessed that I, that I got to meet you because you're, mm. you're one of these crazy entrepreneurs uh, as well. Wait, and so, Andy is a great guy. And I, I just, so I'm in it. I'm growing because I really love it. It's very cool to me to see, you know, uh, as you do every one of these things, um, you get stronger and stronger in knowledge, right, and experience. Every time you, you do make it to arbitration or you even just, to, just getting close to it, you learn a little bit more, and my bet is many, many things go away because you don't have to take it that far, right? And that's, 
again, that's that's guidance. Do you guide companies um, um, that are that are developed? Um, I mean, they have you on retainer as they're developing their business, so they don't have to. Um, you know, do you get what I'm saying? Or do they come to you for advice? Just hey, we're we're going down this road, and we want to do this kind of thing instead of doing all the you know the after the fact stuff. Do you do some preventative stuff with people too? We do. We're on retainer with a number of sellers, a number of larger companies and smaller ones where we kind of take a look to see if there are any major problems. We're not we, we don't do like daily reviews or anything like that. We're not like an account monitoring service, but people have us on retainer to take a look every week to say, OK, where are they? What performance notifications came in uh, kind of cross reference what they're selling with what the problems we're seeing, you know, from our 50,000 foot view. And we do. But generally, people don't call us unless there is a problem. I wish they would have more of that to prevent problems. Mm. Uh, but we do do that for sellers, small and large. Yeah, almost like a checkup. You know, one of the things that, that's very cool, too, is uh, we were at a conference in Chicago a couple of weeks ago. And people were coming up to you, and you gave them your time. Yeah, I didn't see you sending them bills. And it's usually what an attorney says, hey, I bill in 15-minute increments, right? Um I didn't see any of that. People were able to come to you and talk to you about some specifics. I don't know how deep you could go in the conversation, but the fact that you're approachable, I think, is very healthy, and it's good for you. It's good for them, and it's good for you. Yeah, I got to tell you, also, I learn. I mean, one, I just, it's who I am. I'm here. You know, many people have helped me over the years, mm-hmm. and I, I believe in paying it forward, and we do that. We talk to sellers all day long without asking. We don't charge for consultations. Some of these other people out there, they do. We don't. And we won't take money unless either we think we have a really significant chance of success or if there's like a tremendous upside. And like, you know, let's say you're just dead in the water, but you were doing a million dollars a year and we're going to charge you two thousand dollars to do the plan of action and try and get you back online. We'll put in our retainer agreement. Listen, we think we're going to lose, but if we're successful, you'll get your million dollar account back. Mm. So we don't charge for consultations. I, I love the events. I, and, and when I'm talking to sellers, I'm listening to them. They're teaching me. I'm giving my two cents and trying to help them out. And uh, it's, it's part of what I love. I mean, I'm, I'm clearly in this answer, I'm a very verbose guy. Yeah, Well, you love the talk, just like me, although you're probably a little smarter. Okay, so usually at the end of the call, um, I ask for, you know, help people get unstuck. And I just think that I don't know that that's where I want to go with you. I really... What I, what I want to do is, A, get your contact information, but I'm thinking what I'd like to do is kind of see what you're seeing or have you tell us what you're seeing because you just you were just in England last week or the week before. I mean, you're doing a lot of extensive traveling. You're seeing a lot of sellers. You're seeing other marketplaces, which is very exciting for me to hear. Um, I'm interested to hear uh, what you're seeing and where you think uh, things are going, especially for just 2019. You don't have to go too far out. So first... Best way to get in contact with you if somebody has a question, they want a consultation. What's what's the website? Uh, AmazonSellersLawyer.com. Sellers is plural. Lawyer is singular. And my email is in the top right-hand corner. And there's a toll-free number. You know, Unlike Amazon, you can actually call and speak with us. Um, with our staff, you know, all, all the account reviews and all the plans of action come out of our New York office. It's a beautiful town that I grew up in called Long Beach, Long Beach, New York. But we've also expanded where we have uh, a swing shift with a trained paralegal who can take your calls and get the information and, and also give you free advice. And then what we recently did is 
my partner's brother wanted to relocate to California, uh. right? And we didn't want to lose him. His name's Vincent Familaro. He's an incredible guy. He graduated from— He's going for from, the weed. He's going for the weed. Go I ahead. hope not. I hope not. Hmm. So he graduated from Malloy College. He's been working with us for years. And I'm like, you know what? Why don't you do this? Forget California. We'll send you to Australia. Okay? Uh, and they're close. Like, Australia. He's like, why? I'm like, you'll live in just a beautiful place as California, and you'll help us cover around the clock. Hmm. So we're now able to to help sellers from 8 in the morning Eastern time all the way around the clock to 4 a.m. Eastern time just by having one of our team located in Australia. And it's worked out really nicely. Um, it also helps us help our clients deal with Chinese factories because they're also he is awake during Chinese business hours if you're doing sourcing from China. So we're going to continue to do that. So while everything comes out of New York and no one here is working a midnight shift, we're able to help sellers from 8 a.m. all the way to 4 a.m. We're not around the clock yet, but we're pretty darn close. Pretty close. And you can practice in every state, correct? Yes. Okay. Well, right. when it comes to the Amazon issues, we can. When it comes to like local lawsuits, then we cannot. Between the five lawyers that are on our team now, it's probably about a half a dozen states okay. that are admitted in, give okay. or take. But for the Amazon side, which is, I think, where most people are going to have challenges. Okay. Yeah, we All have right. Amazon sellers in every state in the union, and I think every continent except the Arctic ones. I don't know if they have warehouses there yet, but they will soon enough. Okay, so so again, and rather than ask you for you know to get past stuck, I think we're we're past that point with you. I think uh, I'd like to see where you think things are going really for next year and the best practices that you see the top sellers that you deal with, um, what they're doing. Brand development, mm. developing your private label, private label brand, uh, developing an asset that you own. There's still a fortune to be made in buying and selling other people's products, other companies' products, even in retail arbitrage. There's still tons of money to be made. But I think as 2019 rolls around, um, it, they're going to start squeezing more and more. There are more brands making deals with Amazons. There's more of the bigger brands controlling who sells their products. The whole transparency code will eventually be problematic for sellers. So I, I would explore the opportunities to develop your own products. And also in light of our political climate, hmm. whether you are a Trump fan or not, there are tremendous tariffs that are coming in January 1st. And I think that we need to expand where we source. Sellers need to start looking at Taiwan and Vietnam and Thailand. Mexico. Mexico and Costa Rica. Okay, you got to start looking for other countries other than China to source your products. And there's a ton out there. Um, I think you know Tim Jordan. Mm -hmm. He does a lot of sourcing trips to Guatemala where they have these really great handicrafts. So developing your brand and finding other sources of goods other than China. Oh, dude, that's awesome. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time. I think these are great ways to get your account or to keep your account in good standing. And, and you know, nothing's guaranteed. Nothing's set in stone. Um, challenges are going to happen. But, man, if you can keep to the straight and narrow, if you do your best, like you said, monitor your brands that you're selling and really pay attention while you're developing your own brand you know, what a great transition you can make. So very, very cool. Thank you so much, CJ. I really appreciate it. May I? It. Yeah, I go for really it. appreciate you letting me, you know, say my website. Um, but if I could take a few moments to actually promote something else, I'd really appreciate it. Something Tell me really what close. it is. 
Okay. All of us. I might who, cut you off. Let's see. We'll all see. of us who interact with Amazon also shop on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And Amazon has a fantastic program called the Amazon Smile program, where if you shop through Amazon Smile, you can then pick a charity of your choice. And it doesn't cost the buyer anything. It doesn't cost a third party third party seller anything. It's Amazon takes money out of its pocket and donates it to a charity. And the charity that I ask you to pick is called the Ty Lewis Campbell Foundation. T-Y, uh, Ty Lewis Campbell Foundation. Lewis, um, L-E-W-I-S? L-O-U-I-S. L-O-U-I-S Foundation. Cam- yep. Ty Lewis Campbell Foundation. Campbell, C-A-M. P-B-E-L-L. Foundation. Wow, that's a lot of words. Okay, so Ty words. Lewis Campbell Foundation, and what does it? Um, what does? What do they do? They raise money to find better treatments and cures for pediatric cancers. Oh, okay. Wow. All right. Now you got me. You got me on that one. Fantastic I mean, foundation. My buddy Lou was the dad. His wife Cindy was Ty's mom. Hmm. Uh, Ty died after an awful two-year fight uh, with an aggressive form of brain cancer, and they turned this awful tragedy into this incredible foundation. So uh, if you're shopping on Amazon, it's a couple of extra clicks and the pennies add up to dollars and the dollars add up to tens of thousands of dollars. And it's a fantastic organization. Uh, Ty Lewis Campbell Foundation. Ty Lewis Campbell Foundation. Okay. I'm going to put the link out on this webs uh, on this episode, um, but I'm going to make my purchases and uh, Ty Lewis Campbell Foundation will get the benefit this year. That's a very, very cool all right. Well, hey, man, I really appreciate you taking the time. Again, um, I love what you're doing. I love I love the fact that you're paying attention to people and giving them immediate answers, staying open. I know it's not easy. I'm sure it's expensive, but it's the smart move. It's the long play. You've got to develop the relationship, and you guys are doing a great job with it. Very, very cool. Thank you so much. Thank you. Great guy. Great uh, advice. Again, take these things seriously. I mean, taking those photos, yes, it's an extra step. But how much time suck is it trying to get a hold of somebody to get your when they say your stuff was damaged? It wasn't damaged. Or I, I saw a friend post that his box was empty. They said that, and it's the second or third time it's happened to him. They're saying, oh, yeah, there were no products in the box. I mean, come on. Of course there were products. And nobody ships an empty box. Um, but that stuff happens. So is that extra step, taking some pictures, you know, if you're only, especially if you send them in by the pallet, that's even really strong. If you're doing it once or twice a week, um, it's not a big deal. I think I'm gonna have to start doing that for our clients because I just think it's so important. Um, ecommercemomentum.com, ecommercemomentum.com. Take care. Thanks for listening to the e-commerce momentum podcast. All the links mentioned today can be found at ecommercemomentum.com under this episode number. Please remember to subscribe and like us on iTunes.